Good afternoon and welcome to the Vail Planning and Environmental Commission meeting of January 8th, 2024. Uh, we have five PEC uh, members present. Uh, Bill Jensen and John Redeker are online. We are also joined by Reese Olson of the DRB, and I understand we have Aaron online. I believe Aaron Eba is joining us online, yes. Okay, so uh, item number three today is a work session between the PEC and the DRB uh, for West Middle Creek. Uh, we, have, we were given a staff memo and attachments A and B, which were submittal materials and the applicant's presentation. Uh, yeah, so just staff to, have something for us too. Just a few comments. So work sessions are kind of an informal meeting between the future applicant team before an application is made and, and the planning commission and design review board at this time. So there is no binding um, agreements made at this meeting. It is a review and introduction to the project for feedback for the applicant team that they may incorporate if they so choose as well as to ask questions on any future or ask questions on the project in general and kind of just get familiar with the project. So no formal review or criteria are provided by staff. We do not have an active application. Really just looking for a little back and forth between the um, board members as well as the design team. Okay, and for the benefit of our uh, DRB guests today, I'll just go through the, uh, the process. Uh, we'll get a, a presentation by the applicant. Uh, we will have questions of staff and the applicant by uh, anybody here or online uh, and then we'll go to public comment and then we'll get uh, closing comments from everybody uh, involved so gentlemen introduce yourself please and have at it perfect is George on the line George Luther the back and see if we've got George joining us quite yet not at this point okay well, I know George had a, a number of planned remarks that he wanted to give and uh, sort of lay the groundwork of how we, Quorum Real Estate Group, we are the, uh, the development manager uh, that was awarded the West Middle Creek uh, development as a function of an RFP process. He was going to walk uh, through that. I'm fortunately joined here today uh, with our architect of record, Shears Atkins Rockmore. There's a variety of us in the room. Uh, Pierce Austin, our local consulting architect. Uh, Martin and Martin, our civil engineer. And then, well, as uh, I believe, hopefully, Adam Killian with Shaw is on his way. Um, they are uh, the general contractor that we've awarded a pre-construction agreement to and hopefully ultimately get to develop and construct the building. Um, Quorum Real Estate Group, we started building workforce housing in the resort communities, specifically this valley, uh, over 30 years ago with the start of uh, Lake Creek Village. Uh, our role is to manage the pre-development process uh, the development, uh, the ultimate development and construction management. Uh, we are also responsible for the financial orchestration and the funding of the project, as well as the ultimate property management. Um, and with that, hopefully George is now on, and George can begin with his remarks before we jump ahead and Dan, should I text George and tell him he's casually late? <laughs> I believe he was trying to join us and had a little trouble logging onto the Zoom. We sent him a new link, so we'll see if ah. he's popping on. It's 2024 and we're still dealing with technological problems. Exactly. Well, before George gets on the line, uh, I've just got a question for staff. Um, the site that we're being presented today, uh, there's little or no resemblance to what was approved last summer. Can you address that for us, please? 
Yes, I believe we looked at a minor subdivision land use plan amendment and rezoning for uh, sites in this immediate vicinity. Um, those were, you know, looked at, reviewed, and approved and recommended for approval by this board. Um, when the project project progressed, the scope of the project increased as far as what the, the thoughts were for the site, and so kind of a new um, revised approach is being taken, and that's kind of what we're seeing here today. So those old approvals, um, land use and rezoning did go through, were approved by town council. The plat was never recorded, so we'll be looking at a, a new future applications for, for all those items. All right. Does George not have signal in his golf cart? <laughs> he might be on his bike. I don't know if he's on a, on a golf cart. No, Sounds I'm like sorry. I apologize. I wasn't being let in as a panelist and I needed a passcode to get into the public session today. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm trusting you can hear me. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Um, what I want to do is take it. I think we have members from the PEC and ARB joining us today. Thank everyone for your time. Um, Great opportunity, I think, to share what um, will be a, a new housing development opportunity for the town of Vail. I wanted to run through a handful of slides here this morning or this afternoon and um, then turn it over to the design team to walk us through the, uh, the actual review process. So, Greg, I don't know who's driving on that end, uh, the presentation, but if you can pull up that first slide for me, please. Is that clicker working for you guys? It's not doing anything. Okay, I can continue on from here uh, and go to the next slide, just let me know. Perfect. Uh, the, the topics we're gonna run through today with you, we'll talk a little bit about the purpose and the objective of this joint session. Um, introduce you to the design team, which I think may have already happened I, want, I do want to take a few moments and kind of get us all to how did we get to where we are here today with this uh, proposed application. I'll also then talk a little bit about the five different applications that uh, we believe need to be submitted and reviewed by the PEC and the Design Review Board. The design team then I think is going to jump into the meat of our conversation today, talk about those development applications as well as some of the design work uh, that has been put together with site accessing, grading, et cetera. Talk a little bit about our process in putting together the approved development plan. And then I'll wrap up our conversations with uh, some update on schedule and next steps. So with that to the next slide, please. Uh, the purpose of this joint session, it, it is um, early in the process. Um, that has been our intent. Uh, what we wanted to do was share with you um, early in, in our design considerations, uh, get the boards and commissions together to understand uh, and share primarily information that we have about this project and, and where we think it's going to go so we can get your feedback in input early on in the process, rather than waiting all the way until the end uh, to hear from, from the boards and commissions. Um, given the unique challenges of the site, we thought it was important that we begin to identify and work with you on what some of those design solutions would be and help you understand 
um, kind of the, the, the challenge that is out in, in front of the, the design team as well. Next slide, please. The Vail Town Council uh, a while ago now has adopted a set of development goals and objectives for this site. Um, I believe we included them in more detail in your memorandum, but kind of at a high level, it talks about seizing the full opportunity of developing you know, on this site. Um, the deed restriction homes are the highest priority. Um, I think that is in there largely with the understanding that some percentage of the homes uh, by the housing zone district standards are allowed to be free market. But in this case, the town council wanted to ensure that 100% of the development and homes built on this site was deed restricted. Further, there was a, a notion or a goal of optimizing the housing opportunity on this site. That doesn't necessarily mean maximizing, but it does mean optimizing and taking the best advantage of what is available uh, from a, a construction and feasibility standpoint to get homes built um, on the on the property. A market study was put together. That market study helps drive the program and design of this development. Uh, largely, I don't think it comes as any surprise to anybody on this uh, call here today. Um, you know, we're, we're more than 6,000 homes in deficit within Eagle County when it comes to housing and that number is growing every day. The range of, of shortage is everything from homes for the most seasonal of seasonal workers to the longtime residents who have been in the community for some time now. So uh, in the market study that, um, that was prepared for this site um, and the design has primarily or beginning to primarily focus towards uh, studio one and two bedroom home types um, on the site. Clearly there is a demand for that housing product within the, within the marketplace and uh, that's the, the direction that uh, the project's heading. Um, attainability and affordability are also critical drivers in the development uh, of the site. While there is no, um, at this time, intended AMI prescription, put in place, we are focusing somewhere around that 100, uh, kind of that range on average across the board of all unit types, around 100% of, of area median income for these 100% uh, rental units um, intended for the, for the site. There's always been conversation about meeting the needs of our community partners. Uh, I, I think, you know, one of the opportunities that exists here is partnerships, not only uh, with not-for-profit, but for-profit businesses within the town of Vail and keeping those businesses in mind has been a driver for this project as well. Uh, that does come into play when we think about the financing of, of how we go about funding uh, this development and the, the processes we take could um, in some form or another potentially limit um, how our community partners could participate. So we're keeping that in mind, keeping all options open as a goal and objective. Environmental stewardship, as we all know, is a community value, and this building is being designed with those environmental considerations being uh, taken into, into consideration. Like all development, cost is a key consideration. The challenge of the design team in this process 
is going to be uh, balancing the cost of construction with design and all of the other factors that are contributing towards uh, the project. But, but that's a consideration I think that comes into play with all of these uh, developments that we see uh, coming into the town of Vail. Time is of the essence. There is a schedule set forth and, and put in place. We're gonna work diligently towards that schedule. The long and short of it is uh, this meeting today is the first meeting opportunity while a lot of work has already been put into place um, up to this point, but um, this is our first kind of public sharing of the information. The goal and objective uh, around um, this development is that we will be breaking ground in May of 2025. That sounds like a long time away, but I, I think the design team will tell you there's a lot of work to be done in the next 18 months for us to actually get to that place. Um, as you've seen with other uh, housing types of developments, um, how prioritizing homes over cars, you know, what that's really leading to and getting to is around coming up with a managed solution for meeting the transportation needs of the residences that are going to be living in these homes. And while um, there are prescribed standards for parking for other zone districts in the housing zone district, there is an opportunity I think as the commission knows to look at multimodal um, and mobility solutions when it comes providing for those transportation needs. So we'll talk a little bit about that in today's presentation and then talk more about that as we go through the design iterations of this project. And then lastly, leading by example. And um, you know, the example I, I think the town council is referring to here is the town has been uh, very successful in working and making progress towards its housing goals. Uh, this project in itself is one of those projects that helps us advance uh, towards that 1,000 unit uh, housing goal. And um, using the, the resources that we have available and leading with those resources to ensure that, that housing developments get built uh, within the town of Dale. Greg, next slide, please. Uh, the, de the development team, uh, I, I think you are aware, we went through a, an exhaustive uh, uh, request for proposals process. And in that process, Core Real Estate Group and their sub-consultant design team was selected to be our private sector partner. Um, if Eric hasn't done so in, in detail already, he'll have an opportunity in a few moments to introduce you to more members of the design team. And I think what you'll see is as this project continues to evolve over the next six or so months that uh, you'll have an opportunity to engage with with different folks from all of these consultant teams that are, are partnering with the town of Vail uh, in this process. Next slide, please. So how did we get here? I, I think residential development on this site is intentional and deliberate. It, it, it's with a purpose. And uh, that purpose really began in uh, 2017 when the Vail Town Council um, and Vail Local Housing Authority, with the help of the Planning Commission and others, adopted the Vail Housing 2027 uh, strategic plan. That plan set in place a goal, a means, and a method and um, you know the goal I think is everyone is aware was to acquire 1,000 additional de-restricted uh, dwellings by the year 2027. As I shared a moment ago, we're well on on track 
to accomplish that goal, this project is one of those goals. But then additionally, a seven-step housing plan was put together when there were conversations within the community um, just about um, um, where housing could get built uh, within the, the town of Vail and how we might go about that. In that seven-step plan, the Vail Town Council uh, at the time had identified the potential of the West Middle Creek site for housing in the future. And as a result, a site feasibility study was done, I believe in, in September of 2019, uh, was initiated in that site study, uh, better informed uh, the, the town in the community about the actual development potential of this property. While we, once we understood that there was uh, feasibility in developing on the site. One of the things we went out and did is we reached out to CDOT because CDOT owns some adjacent excess right-of-way uh, immediately adjacent to this parcel. We reached out to CDOT about acquiring that 1.2 acres of land that CDOT has available. And as I think you're also aware, the wheels have been in motion for the town to acquire that land. We have successfully negotiated a real estate contract Contracts now to finalize that acquisition are in the hands of the state attorney general's office. So that that work is is forthcoming. But then also at the same time, uh, the planning commission and the town council approved a minor subdivision, creating lots four and five of the Middle Creek subdivision, as well as then rezone lots four and five to the housing zone district. Eventually, as I'll talk about here in a moment, we need to rezone and do some work with that CDOT parcel, but, but much of the zoning work has, has been done to date. The goals and objectives that I just highlighted, you know, kind of high, uh, um, acknowledge the, the goals and objectives for the, the construction on this site. Those goals and objectives were adopted by the town council and affirmed and ratified prior to the town of Vail then issuing an RFP to select a private sector development partner to build this residential development on that site. As I shared back in, I believe it was June of 2022, we released that, that uh, RFP, went through an RFP process. And as a result, the, uh, the town of Vail as a co-applicant along with our private sector partner, real estate quorum group, are sitting here before you today with this initial joint session um, conversation. Furthermore, then resolution number 49 was approved by the Vail Town Council. Resolution number 49 approved a pre-development agreement with Quorum Real Estate Group. That pre-development agreement highlights at a higher level what the intended program for development on the site would be. Um, outlines an anticipated budget and then adopts and approves a schedule for completion on the site. The pre-development agreement, however, is one of three uh, agreements the town will eventually execute or have uh, be caused to execute with Quorum uh, Real Estate Group. The second of the three agreements is an actual development agreement. That actual development agreement will get executed once we're further along into the entitlement process and have a better understanding of the final form of the, the development that's to be completed on the site. And then lastly, as a step towards developing on this site, I think you're all aware of the work that you've been doing with the, um, 
with the community development department on making revisions and uh, changes to the development review process and some zoning reform. So with all of that in place, I think as you can see, um, a, a significant amount of work has been done in anticipation of building uh, in identifying a housing solution for the Vail uh, community on this West Middle Creek site. Next slide, please. There is going to be over the course of the review of this entitlement process, I tried to just highlight um, at a very high level what those uh, five development applications we foresee uh, are gonna have to be reviewed by the various review boards and identified them here on, on the slide. Because we're um, acquiring and then bringing into the, this development site uh, a portion of CDOT right-of-way, there is some, that CDOT uh, right-of-way is not designated within the Vail land use plan um, today. So once we acquire that, we will have to make an amendment to the Vail land use plan, much like I believe the Planning and Environmental Commission did with the CDOT right-of-way that was acquired adjacent to the Timber Ridge property where you brought it into, into the plan and then uh, designated it for high density residential development. The Planning Commission will see that application um, in the coming weeks and, and, and months ahead of you. Additionally, when we bring in that CDOT property, we do need to do a second minor amendment uh, to the uh, subdivision plat for the Middle Creek subdivision and we'll be bringing that before the Planning and Environmental Commission as well, as well as then zoning that piece of, of, of right-of-way into, uh, into the official zoning map of the Town of Vail. We also have an approved development plan. That approved development plan, based upon the recent uh, revisions uh, made to the development review process, will be reviewed by the Design Review Board. And the Design Review Board, I believe we go back uh, and begin a, again, a conceptual type of conversation uh, with the application uh, and the applicants on uh, January 17th. The DRB will see the approved development plan and we'll work with the DRB on that, on that process going forward. And then lastly, uh, PEC, I think as the PEC uh, is, is aware, in this application, you still are, um, responsible for the review of any variance requests that may you know come before you so that still sits in the hands of the uh, design review board or excuse me the planning and environmental commission next it, it, one last thing on this slide in your packet i did want to just highlight and you'll see in that memo there's a lot of information in there but i listed all five of the development applications and then provided the review criteria for each one of those applications within the memo. The purpose in doing so is just to provide kind of at the front end of the of our conversations on this project, you know, what, what are those criteria and what are we judging the, um, the, the applications against? So that, that is highlighted in your memo if you need to, to make any reference to that. Next slide, please. And with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Eric Kampa uh, with Forum Real Estate Group. He'll introduce his um, uh, folks from the, the, the design team. But before Eric, you jump in, just want to know from the Planning Commission members or DRB members, any questions about any of the information that I shared? 
We'll start with the uh, online. Erin, uh, do you have any questions? No, I'm all set. Thank you, Henry. Uh, George, great information. Appreciate you as always. Uh, Bill and John? Uh, nothing for me at this time. Thank you. We do have Scott McBride. Ditto on. from Bill. Nice oh, presentation, George. Thank okay, you. Okay, Scott? Uh, thanks so much. Uh, George, I don't have any questions right now. Thank you. Thank you. Did I get everyone? Uh, anybody here have any questions? I do. Okay. George, it's Bobby. Uh, question. Will um, this project be in the new housing district? Yes. Okay. And I see the 1.06 units per space, but is there a climate plan and an offsite parking? Um, there climate plan no off-site parking something we need to continue to evaluate thanks anybody else <clears throat> george i don't know if this is the right time to ask this but looking at the gis only a small portion of this parcel is currently zoned as housing and it seems as if the remainder of this parcel is being used for this development are you anticipating requesting a rezoning for the entire parcel into housing? Uh, yes, for the entire development site, Brad, we'll, we'll have, um, we will identify that as part of the minor subdivision application when you see that. Um, it'll encompass the entire development site plus, a proposed development site plus the CDOT right away. Okay. Greg, what's the zoning of the remainder of the parcel currently? That's not housing. I, I believe, Greg, it's um, open space, natural area preservation. Yes, NAP is, me, NAP is the zoning, yep. Okay. Yeah, natural area preservation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anybody else? All right, again, thanks, George. Uh, I'm Eric Koppel with Quorum Real Estate Group, uh, and we are the developer of this project. Excited to share with you what we've been working on in the last several months uh, as, since we've been awarded the project, and I'm going to hand it over to our architect of record, uh, Shears Atkins Rockmore, otherwise known as SAR, and my colleague Dan, who's going to walk us through the presentation. And you may need to get a little close to the mic just so they can hear you on, on Zoom. Sure thing. Well, hello everyone. I'm Dan Rasnick with Shears Atkins Rockmore Architects. As Eric said, we're the architect of record on the site. Um, today we've uh, we're bringing to you a presentation of the design work that's been done, um, the focus of which is really to set the table, as we see it, um, for how to create a site condition that is feasible and developable. Um, as we know, the site today is um, very limited in terms of infrastructure and is isolated in a lot of ways. So in order for us to get to basically the site of a mountain to something that can um, accommodate um, hundreds of residences, um, we need to establish what the site constraints are that we're responding to and what givens we are proposing on the site in order to most effectively and efficiently plan um, a successful housing project. So uh, next slide, please. So we've broken this down into a few categories. We'd like to introduce um, some aspects of the site that are influencing the high-level thinking and approach that we're taking in determining what these constraints and site access and grading issues are. 
Uh, we'd like to spend some time walking through the process of how we've gotten to the proposed design that we're bringing today. Um, that's really just what we've done since we've received the RFP to today. And then we'd like to walk through a series of diagrams of plans and sections primarily that indicate where we've landed in terms of the access road that we're proposing, the buildable footprint, and the resulting conceptual section that describe um, how we see the essentially the buildable envelope of the building moving forward. Um, but with that, um, something we'd like to make clear is that um, graphically we're representing the project very simply and diagrammatically in these yellow boxes that we've, all, we've seen throughout the presentation we'll continue to see here. Um, we want to emphasize the diagrammatic nature of that and that as we move forward through this process, um, we as the architect will continue to refine, articulate, and break down the scale of this project so that it is appropriate for its site and its context. Um, but the representation that's shown today is really a means to address um, what answers we need to establish um, as far as grading and site access that will help us successfully move forward with the design. Uh, next slide, please. My select guy left. <laughs> there we go. Okay, um, so here are the surrounding uh, landmarks, uh, influential landmarks that the site and project will be responding to. Um, most notable from this aerial uh, view is how prominent this site is, um, visibly prominent from both where we are here on this side of the freeway and also approaching Vail. Um, but given its prominence, it's also uh, isolated. And in order to um, provide it with the infrastructure necessary to make it a buildable site, um, there are a lot of challenges and constraints that we've had to respond to that we'll walk through uh, moving forward here. Next slide, please. Uh, perhaps most notable and obvious to the site is the um, extreme grade that we are building onto. Um, the vast majority of the site exceeds uh, 50% uh, slope, and even the lower area where we're proposing the majority of the building footprint is between 30 and 50% in grade. So the, as we move through the plans and sections and studies that we've been through on how to access the site, responding to that topography and allowing that topography to guide the placement, location, and extent of the building footprint has been very influential and is really the most uh, impactful constraint that we're responding to. Awesome. Um, so I think the, uh, the most critical factor for establishing where and um, the extents of this building um, as a starting point is how it's accessed, uh, particularly by the fire department. So this is a high-level diagram indicating um, the fire, emergency fire stations, um, then the route that they would take to get to the site, and again, from a very high level, the um, pathway that they would take to traverse the grade from the elevation of the frontage road to where we are proposing the elevation of um, the ground floor of the new housing development. And we'll get into more detail of this in some further diagrams. Um, in addition to that, the uh, existing transit network and demand for uh, multimodal transit on the site is something that the project is responding to and will continue to respond to as the needs um, are more specific and evolve. Um, but particularly represented in this diagram are the existing bus stops and um, what we see as a necessary additional bus stop that will occur somewhere within the
the uh, length of the new development, um, but the details of which are to be determined. And again, as we get into some of the um, representation and the sectional aspects of this site, um, we'd like to begin to discuss um, the challenges and the constraints that both the building and other site aspects, such as a bus stop, will need to respond to moving forward. Um, these next two slides walk through series by series the different iterations that the design team has explored that led us to where we are today. Um, I lost my, uh, <laughs> hopefully this is clear for you guys, I don't know. That might be, not be the best, that's okay, I can just walk, talk through it. Um, all, the very top diagram is the uh, plan and section that were part of the RFP. Um, the initial proposal in the RFP had an access road that started on the east side from the adjacent property's uh, parking access road, bridged over Middle Creek, and created this linear chain of buildings that were all set on varying elevations, which in turn created essentially um, discrete buildings that would function and operate as their own individual structures uh, with their own set of vertical circulation and parking structures within them. And then what the diagram also provided was the opportunity perhaps to have a community amenity building to the south of the access road. Um, as we evaluated the program, and again at a high level we're aiming towards 231 deed restricted units and 36 master lease units, which we can get into more detail uh, near the back of this presentation. But with that program and the one-to-one -one parking for the deed restricted units, we started to um, assess more efficient ways to organize um, that organize the program on the site and thinking about how any amenity function would best be served on such a long linearly configured site. Um, we're looking at you know the, these configurations span from 1,200 feet long to approximately 900 feet long. but even within that range, it's a very, very long site for um, a single development. But specific to the community amenity building that was consolidated on the southeast portion of the site in the RFP, um, the design team decided that rather than a single building that a resident on the far west side that may have to walk a thousand feet to access, those um, components of the building may be best distributed throughout the development, not consolidated in a single building. But the other uh, benefit from consolidating the footprint is that the buildable area, the resulting excavation, and just the overall cost needed to build a project uh, became more efficient as the uh, footprint was consolidated. And there's one final move that was made from the RFP to these next design studies, and that was to essentially maintain a consistent elevation from each end of what's shown in yellow as the building footprint as opposed to having a road that slopes up and down um, and having each of those individual buildings at a different elevation. And the main benefits of that is to provide flexibility. Flexibility to allow for um, efficient parking, such that a parking level could be single and flow all the way through without losing efficiencies and multiple entries and multiple uh, individual structures. <clears throat> and it also allows us, as we advance the design, to be flexible with where we locate things such as lobbies, service entry points, and other um, functional aspects of the project. So from there, the next major challenge or obstacle that we faced was the infrastructural concerns with bridging over Middle Creek. Um, while middle, the access point that was shown in the first two iterations allowed for the site to be pushed up, or, or the base level of the site to be pushed up in elevation as high as possible, 
that created a condition that um, was favorable for the living units and um, minimized the amount of excavation, but the infrastructural concerns with bridging over the creek were deemed infeasible uh, for the project. So the next iteration at the bottom of this page began to shift the entry point of that road west of Middle Creek, but even in this configuration, it was deemed that the proximity to the culvert and the creek um, and, every, and all the utilities in that area was still too close. Um, so that led us to the um, proposals on this page, which as you can see, those entry points start shifting farther and farther west um, with the goal to minimize infrastructural conflicts associated with the creek. However, as we shift that road and that entry point westward, we're shortening the length of it. And that length of the road and the grade that it's taking to get up in elevation to where we think the building wants to be um, becomes shorter and shorter the, the shorter the road gets. The result in the section of that um, shortening of the length of the road is that the building moves lower into the site. And that started to raise some red flags for us for two reasons, one being that um, you can see on the section, the top left section, um, the north side of the housing development would have a retaining wall that could extend in some places up to the third level of units, which in a double loaded configuration, it could render half of the building as pretty unlivable. Um, and simultaneous to that, the, um, lo the lower that building gets into this mountainside, the more earth is, that's required for excavation. And as George had stated, the cost of this project is a major constraint that the design team will need to respond to. Um, excavation is a major component of that cost, and we are incentivized to minimize that as much as possible. Um, but like I said, since the minimal excavation resulting from raising the building also um, enhances the livability of the north units, that led us to the configurations in the next two studies um, that start to establish what we think is the most appropriate elevation um, and configuration of this buildable envelope on this site. The next series of diagrams that we'll show are of the uh, first two floor plans to highlight where we think the overall circulation components make the most sense. And again, we're showing um, parking spaces, different rooms, um, spaces that are allocated to, for lobbies, corridors, et cetera. These are all uh, diagrammatic approaches to address um, how we are responding to the site constraints. These will evolve, they will become more refined, um, but are helpful to see how uh, the design team has been thinking about the approach to the building and the decisions that we're making. Um, but that in doing so, we're also very early in this process and these are very um, conceptual approaches as a starting point. Um, but as we can see, this uh, first series of diagrams indicates how we think that the consolidation of these buildings will um, result in gained efficiency that will help us plan the best project possible. We're showing two lobby entry points that would be um, allocated to generally two uh, deed-restricted apartment blocks. And then on the far west, a separate lobby that would be allocated to the master lease units. And the thinking here is that the deed-restricted units should essentially function as um, a consolidated uh, housing development with shared circulation, building circulation, building services, and amenities, whereas the master lease units have a 
uh, user demographic that could be different in contrast to the those living in the deed restricted apartments and for a lot of functional and operational reasons having them in their own independently functioning building uh, makes a lot of sense um, functionally and from a circulation standpoint <clears throat> and um, the lower plan shows the second level which is connected via the lobbies that link the two buildings and that purple and blue zone in the middle indicate uh, where we think amenities for the building would um, make sense from a circulation and overall building organization standpoint. These plans indicate the vehicular circulation proposed on the site. Um, by making the elevation consistent from corner edge of building to edge of building, it allows a flat plate parking garage and vehicles to circulate all the way through. Um, via minimally two uh, garage entry points. Um, because we are meeting the one-to-one -one parking to deed restricted unit requirement, um, the space on the site, it allows such that we will need two levels of parking. Flattening that first level and giving us uh, space to efficiently ramp to a second level um, is essential in establishing a building configuration that can uh, efficiently as possible accommodate the parking requirement. And finally, uh, on the ground floor, uh, the building services are shown to, on the south edge of the building, trash moving out to the access road for pickup, um, and uh, functions such as mail and other circulation functions existing there as well. <clears throat> These are uh, fire truck turning diagrams um, that we've created based on the conceptual configuration of that road. Um, Mason, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. <clears throat> Mason talking to Mark Martin, the civil engineer for the project. Yeah, and I would just add that uh, what we're showing here is Vale's aerial ladder apparatus and the site access drive is accommodating the fire truck turning by implementing the minimum required center line radius per fire and the town code and maintaining the uh, max allowed slope per both uh, town code and bail fire and I guess lastly the the upper half is showing the um, entry to the site from either the west or east both feasible and the lower half showing the exit, and likewise, both feasible for the aerial ladder apparatus. Thanks, Mason. Uh, moving on to the typical floor plate or the floor plate above the parking podium. Um, this shows how we are conceptually thinking of the best method of organizing the program in that um, two, generally two building blocks to house the deed restricted units. You know, on the on the plan, we're showing two blocks. Um, they're 75 feet deep, which provides enough flexibility to articulate these buildings some. Um, as we advance the design and further articulate the massing, we intend to break down the scale that these two blocks will uh, be on the site. Um, but by consolidating these into two buildings with the lobby locations as shown allows us to efficiently circulate the buildings and have the minimum number of stair and elevator cores that we think we need to serve the program, which all turn 
you know, that, that efficiency is directly, obviously directly related to cost and we think sets us up to uh, design and develop the best project possible here. Um, and then finally, the uh, darker yellow block on the west are the uh, master lease units, like we said, are um, conceived of thus far as essentially an independent structure um, from a circulation standpoint, connected to the garage below, but with its own lobby and stair cores um, to get to those units. Um, one final diagram is a representation of our very initial conceptual snow storage strategy. Uh, what this highlights is a few things. One, that we are focusing a majority of the snow removal of paved surfaces off of the access road and that we are not uh, pressed with having to remove snow from parking areas because there is, as we see it, a great advantage to enclosing all of our parking because it is not, um, will, will not need to be dealt with from a snow storage standpoint. Um, and that there is also a portion of the site that wraps around the north um, on the east and west edges that is part of a planned egress route. Um, and those are small isolated areas that are likely to include snow melt in order to maintain the requirements for an egress path. Um, but beyond that, we have some initial calculations that we're thinking about. Um, we haven't designed the roof of this building, so that hasn't even been taken into consideration. Um, the area in blue is slightly short of the 30% requirements stated by the town of Vail that we need to accommodate snow storage for. Um, but as, as you can see, we're very early on, and as we advance the design, um, the snow storage and a snow removal process will be influential in how we make design decisions such that that will, um, snow storage will be adequately accommodated on the site. So this is the primary section of the building that highlights a lot of those uh, constraints and issues that have been discussed. Um, moving from the right side of this section is the north side up against the mountain. Um, we are allocating approximately 14 feet of a walkway for fire access um, and that width uh, we think is adequate to allow for a ladder to reach the top of the building. Um, the 75 feet of the building depth which has some flexibility that allow us to articulate the massing um, and provide balconies on either side of the building. Um, and then the next dimensions, the 15 feet and 26 feet are required road width and setback for fire department access. So for fire staging, that 26 feet is a requirement. And in order to access the building with their ladders, a 15 foot setback is required. So that dimensional uh, constraint is a given on the site. Um, and then from there, we are 10 feet from the property line. And you can see the elevation from where we're we've established what we think is the best base elevation to the elevation of the frontage road is about a 35 foot difference, um, which will be impactful and is on the forefront of our minds as we continue designing the building. Um, but we think that this configuration is what sets us up uh, for the most success for the project. And there are aspects of this that we'll continue to study to um, provide perhaps even more flexibility on the south end. Um, but as we consider things such as exterior landscaping or even um, the bus stop that was noted at the beginning of this presentation, this, uh, the dimensional constraints of this section we think are really representative of the challenges of um, building on this site and modifying what those sort of given constraints and dimensional qualities of the project are. 
Uh, this next section just cuts through those courtyards that were shown uh, between the major building blocks to um, show that amenity space and potential uh, outdoor deck that could exist above that podium. <clears throat> and finally, a uh, 3D representation of, again, what we're defining as the buildable envelope, a diagrammatic representation of the volume we, that it's necessary to meet the program. And as we move forward through this process, we'll continue to um, articulate and design these masses so that they uh, respond appropriately to scaling context um, of what we think is appropriate for the site. Um, this is a bit more detailed look at the program, um, highlighting the total uh, deed-restricted apartments at uh, 231 units and mass-released units of uh, 36 in total. <clears throat> and um, there is uh, 245 parking spaces allocated now, slightly north of the one-to-one um, -one requirement, but also provides some flexibility for um, guest parking and just a little bit of a conservative starting point as we advance the project. Um, but all of those uh, programmatic elements at a very high conceptual level right now total about 385,000 gross square feet. Um, and then to conclude, we have also begun looking at this from a climate um, analysis standpoint. Um, this graphic represents the solar radiation that the site will receive. Um, and this will be um, a tool that we'll use as we continue to design um, the massing and fenestration of the project. Uh, what's important to note, even at this high level, is as a south-facing site, the um, amount of solar radiation that the roof and the road get are extremely high, which is a benefit as we see it because it helps uh, mitigate the amount of uh, snow storage that will be required because it, we don't see it uh, lasting nearly as long on this side of the site as it does on the opposite side of the highway. Um, the, uh, this is a windrose diagram that shows the prevailing winds and the direction that they would come from. This will help influence the uh, quality of the exterior space and the balconies as we uh, move forward the design. And want to conclude on um, this series of images to show what um, design and architectural qualities uh, we as a team are inspired by. And in that as um, the graphical representation of the project we've shown to date is <clears throat> very large, sort of devoid of contextual uh, response and uh, blocky, and that as we move forward with the design, um, these uh, visual qualities, the architectural qualities that we see in these inspirational images is what we'll strive to achieve in the design of this project as well, both from a building design standpoint and a site design standpoint as well. <coughs> um, I'll pause there. I think that's the majority of the content. Um, we have some other appendix exhibits of some more current plans and sections that we can use uh, to discuss any uh, questions or discussion points as they arise. Before we move on, is it, <clears throat> excuse me, does anybody here have a question for the applicant? I do. Um, what's the difference between the amenities for deed restricted versus master lease units? We haven't delved into, uh, my name's Jesse Adkins, by the way, with SAR Architects. Uh, a lot of that program as far as an amenity uh, package between the two uh, users or end users has not been fully vetted. Uh, that I think is still part of our process as, as the design of the project evolves. 
I think at this level of detail, we're trying to identify a, a logical location for, for the different residences to exist. And from there, we will develop the ideas around how the, the two will be supported. Anybody this is John Radiker. I have even uh, maybe a more fundamental question. Um, can you explain for everyone uh, listening to this today, um, what's the difference between the deed restricted units and the master lease units? Dan or Jesse, can I jump well, in on that one, please? Yeah, it, it's uh, sure. George is going to. Yeah, the, um, th there, there is the, the, the distinction, John, between the 100% of the homes on the site will be deed restricted. So all of the homes will be deed restricted on this property. We are holding that the 36 homes plus or minus as contemplated in these conceptual plans for master leasing. Master leasing, as I talked a little bit about earlier, there may be some additional financial implications when it comes to financing or how we go about financing the development with master leases in place. So we've, we've kind of held that off to the side as a, as a consideration going forward. But again, 100% deed restricted, 100% for rent um, development on the site at the end of the day, I don't think you will see a difference in the architectural style, design, functionality, operations, residence uh, of those homes. We just have to be mindful of that, those 36 homes as a percentage of the 265, 270 homes on the site. So we're calling those out separately from a financing consideration. So is that segregation of the two <clears throat> types of units strictly a financial consideration you it's know, a financial yeah, go ahead I'm, I'm sorry well just you know often want to hear the conversation around modern concept of land planning right you don't want to the idea is to say you have a market rate project that has some deed restricted units you don't create a block of deed restricted the idea is to feather them throughout the whole project right um, and so in essence are you doing that here and is there a downside to kind of splitting off these two types of units that you know that, that should be considered are you going to be having a you know a project that has two kind of feels to it and is that appropriate in this case two architectural sure. feels uh, or, or right. two type of demographic or whatnot you know or is that something that would be better feathered throughout the the project sure the um again 100 percent of the homes will be will be deed restricted so they'll all be deed restricted they'll all be sure. for rent the the other opportunity when it comes to financing one of these buildings is uh the ability to separate it for the purposes of ownership so if a if a business or businesses wanted to step in and acquire those master lease homes they can do so in a separate building that could be um easily divisible for ownership purposes mm. okay. but it's not about the demographics at all got it anybody else online have a question uh, oh this is scott mccrad i've got a question go ahead so on slide 46 i see the the parking that's indicated i think on the, the lower two levels of that structure is that right Correct. Is there any parking outside of the building? There's no whether temporary or long term. 
there's no planned parking outside of the building. Uh, the entirety of the parking would exist within the two levels of the enclosed structured parking garage. So the other no, car would be next to the rim. Besides off-site? Yeah, I, I think um, per George's comments, there may be some future discussions relative to off-site parking. As far as the site planning goes, there are no planned parking spaces outside of the building. That is correct. And I, I think I heard earlier that this, there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between units and cars, is that right, or parking spots? That's right. And so that would be for the on-site. The off-site would potentially bring that number above one. I think the clarification we're looking for is <clears throat> the new parking requirements are 1.05 spaces per unit. And so we're looking to see if it's one-to-one -one or if it's 1.05 or more to one to make sure we're meeting the parking requirements. I think our development plan, giving me some room here, would be to meet the requirements on-site. Okay. I think what George was referring to is if there's additional parking that could increase that ratio, that would be located off-site. But we will accommodate the 1.05. Yeah, we're going to meet the requirement yes. yep. on-site. Okay. I mean, the site plan and the, and the sectional relationship from the front of the building south and the frontage road, those are very tight dimensions. There's some spots that we've tried to configure that would allow for short-term drop-off kinds of configurations for the more practical uh, uh, conditions that occur, uh, but permanent on-site parking outside of the garage does not exist because we just don't have the room for it. Okay, thank that, th thanks for the explanation on sure. the temporary parking, appreciate that. Any other comments online? Uh, I do have one question. I think on one of your parking charts, you said that no parking was being provided for the master lease. Is that a misinterpretation? The ratio is derived based on the deed restricted. So it's one to one, 1 1.05 to one deed restricted. And all units are deed restricted? All units. Including master lease, so. Including the remaining okay. units being, the, they all are all deed restricted, but classified as, let's say, workforce. Sure. Okay. Uh, Jesse, did you want to continue the presentation? Well, you guys I'm joining only to, to start our dialogue. Hopefully we can, we can dive into some of what we are here to present and get your feedback on it. Okay. Um, all right, well, I guess we will uh, go to public comment next. Is there anybody in the room who uh, has some comments to make? Anybody online? If there's anyone mm -hmm. online, please raise your hand. We can see if there's anyone that has raised their hand in the next few seconds. We have no public comment online. Okay, we will close public comment and start going to comments from the board. Uh, we will start online with Erin. Hi guys, uh, thanks so much for the detailed presentation. I know there's an awful lot of work in that. Um, I have a ton of questions that I just don't think are relevant right now and obviously need to spend a little more time looking at this. Um, the parking, uh, I understand that, that we're going back and forth, but to, to be clear on the parking, we're going to meet the requirements. We're going to, uh, and those requirements include solar, uh, are there going to be ride share considerations, things of that nature. 
Are we planning on some smart access points um, as far as uh, meal deliveries, grocery deliveries, if we're having folks that maybe don't have a vehicle and aren't utilizing the public transportation all the time, my assumption would be Insta, Instacart's gonna get real popular and, and we're gonna start delivering some of those services, um, maybe drop off uh, for daycare or for children or those type of things. Um, I know we don't have a one area for that and I understand your reasoning, but just making sure that we've considered that as far as those access points, how people can quickly get in and out and safely get in and out, um, that, that won't be utilizing that parking structure because we really don't want those temporary folks parking in that parking structure if they're just there to deliver something and all of that. Um, th th that's my initial look is just kind of looking at these things and, and if we're gonna have a, a possibly a two person household with only one vehicle, which I think is very feasible, we just need to make sure that we're giving everybody the most thoughtful uh, way of living in that situation because our current urban planning does not really make this a walkable situation to Publix and the Safeway and to the pharmacy and things of that nature. So just, I know you guys are trying to, to fit an awful lot in here. Um, you know, the other questions I have, I'm, I'm sure are absolutely based on cost. I, I've always said and keep going back to, why can't we go underground with some of these things? And then that first level have some storefronts. Maybe it's a coffee shop, daycare, dry cleaners, things like that. Um, I'll do those offline with staff just to see where we've evolved over time with that. Um, but again, with the nature of the people that'll be living in here with limited ability to, um, to their vehicle, I, I think those are important considerations. Obviously, how this is gonna look, how far it's gonna set back, how we're gonna handle that landscaping and the front piece of this so this doesn't look like a, you know, a, a housing project, welcome to Vail. Um, a housing project that wasn't well thought. So uh, those are just my initial things that I'm gonna be looking through as I continue to look at this when we're offline and go over with staff. I don't really need you to elaborate unless there's some areas that I mentioned that you guys have already considered and, and you have some thoughts on. But thank you for a very detailed presentation and all of this quick work. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, now how about Scott next? Scott McBride, can you hear me? Yes. Great, thank you. Um, thanks so much for the presentation today. Um, I, I'd like to understand a little bit more information about um, <clears throat> the ingress and egress and what exactly it looks like and how many temporary spots are there. I agree with Aaron's comments about um, you know, demand for temporary parking is going to be um, profit as premium just on what we're looking at here. But the proposal appears to be well thought out. Really appreciate your um, presenting this to us in a, in a working session where we can really digest the information. Uh, Bill Jensen. Thanks, Hank. Um, I guess we never got, I guess, you know, the grading, the steepness of the lot obviously is a huge challenge, and you guys trying to position the building. Um, I guess I'm curious, we didn't talk about retaining walls in the back, and I know the Planning Commission just passed a new um, variation of retaining wall height, and are you guys asking for a variation outside of that, or were you hoping that we were gonna pass it? Um, you know, when I look at the back of the building and you had 14 feet behind it, um, I, you know, I always am concerned about life safety 
on fire. Um, there's, it's, a, it's a lot of people living in a lot of mass. Um, and, uh, you know, just will be interested in seeing how that plays out um, from that standpoint. And then I, too, had the same question about deed restricted versus um, mass release. But I, I get that there, there could be an entity or several entities out there that would, in essence, take all those units and, and having them separated makes it really easy to finance. Um, and so that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think the parking ratio at 1.05 is fine, and um, kind of agree that you know, um, you know, obviously, you know, electric car charging and all those pieces, and um, you know, I know the town still is looking, as well as the county, trying to figure out how how can we come up with shared vehicles and, and those opportunities. Um, but I did like, I guess I did like the one parking space for every unit and the fact they're just studios to two bedrooms really makes that work. And then I like the idea of the 16 extra guest spots. Um, so I, I see some value there. But again, I probably just come back to the grade of the lot and how do we make everything work and, and then how much of that back back session do we have to retain and how high is that? John Redeker. And I guess I'm following up on Bill. Um, I'm interested in hearing about uh, more today about the retaining walls um, and where they're gonna be, what we're being asked to review in that regard. Sorry, I'm trying to balance go back and forth between uh this zoom and and the packet we were provided i'd also like to have an understanding today um when i'm looking at i think maybe the best representation of it um are two of the slides at the beginning of the presentation today uh it, it, from quorum where we talked about or we were showing the fire access and the public transportation and pedestrian access I'd like to understand uh, there's an out, a dotted outline. I think this is lots four and five. I'd like to understand where the C dot right away is before we leave our um, meeting today. Um, and I'd like to have a better idea or, or a little bit more discussion about generally about circulation. Um, is the current thinking uh, circulation, are we going both ways on the site? Are we having circulation one way in, one way out? Um, how, where the entrances are to the garages um, and things like, uh, you know, we looked at one slide that showed um, uh, trash and move in uh, delivery. It, it, exactly a little bit more discussion how that's going to occur. I know we looked at those slides briefly, um, but I, I still don't have an under a good understanding of those. So I'm not providing comment. I'm really asking questions. So if we could have a little bit more discussion, please. Okay. On those we'll issues. Go. Jesse, you want to respond? Go can ahead. We, can we go answer some of those questions? Yeah, sure. At this point? Sure. So can you go back to the first floor plan, Dan? Mm -hmm. um, trying to wrap up a few here. That orange zone, um, if you look close at the top 
plan, you're going to see an entrance on the east and the west end of the building for vehicles. So primary entrance into the, into the parking structure will be managed primarily on either end, from that point all the way to that point. There's a kind of an orange hatch that runs across the predominant front uh, edge Jesse, of the building. Yeah? My, my, my apologies. I'm not sure that all of us on Zoom are seeing the screen. If there's a way to share the screen. We're seeing you lovely gentlemen. Oh, you look yeah. great. We'd love to so see the screen. the screen. <laughs> there Thank you go. You. Thank you. There we Thank go. You. Oh, okay. And, and you're driving the mouse, is that the story? Okay, so let's start over, if you don't mind. Yep. So let's go to the east and west end. You can start to see there's a couple of small arrows at the entrance to the garage. That's where the vehicular circulation will enter, either end. There's a hatch that runs across the front of the building. We have to maintain that for fire. Uh, you'll also note that there's a, a few indentations in the uh, green zone uh, in front of the, the lobby spaces. So that would be where you would see a lot of the transactional traffic occur, whether that's food deliveries, Uber, whatever. There's going to be a short-term opportunity there for more of the practical side of, of living in the, in the project. Um, it is two-way at this point. We've debated one way in either direction. I think that would maybe cause a little more confusion than um, help. Uh, and. and Really, in response to that, what we did was try to identify either end as being the entrance to the garage. So we don't have a lot of traffic, ideally, running the full length of the building. You can actually circulate inside the garage between each end and not necessarily see a, a lot of traffic on the, on the, on the front, what we're going to call our frontage road. So that, I think, st starts to answer some of the preliminary questions from Aaron and I was Scott, you had some clarifications on, on vehicular circulation. I'm, I'm hoping that starts to address those questions. The bus uh, stop we have not located. Uh, there's a number of ideas we're, we're balancing right now in terms of its uh, location. And I, I would imagine that it's going to land somewhere in front of where Section B is indicated where a good majority of, of the residents will uh, come from. So are, uh, can I interrupt with that point? Yeah. Are buses contemplating coming off of the frontage road and into that new area that's going to be paved in front of the building? No, or the are people going to go out to? The buses will be down at the frontage road, and we'll have to reconfigure yeah. the bike lane. Um, but if they're not making up it up uh, to our our drive okay they'll be down on the, the the actual current frontage road okay and and John to that point if I may to that point we are continuing to work with public works and transit we've met several times on how to accommodate the public transit needs for this site in kind of going back and forth Right now, Public Works and Transit have provided us with a preferred section that we're working to incorporate into this plan. Okay, thank you. Any more questions, John? Yeah, well, well the other question I had well, it was about the lot in general. And again, we, we, 
We were shown two slides at the beginning and in our packet that we received, it's slide 36 and slide 37. Um, and, and on those slides, there's a, a rendering of the three buildings that we've been looking at, but it, there's a, a dotted outline. And, and what I'm trying to get my head around is that lots, all of that lots four and five, is that going into our, our consideration or calculations, et cetera, and where is the CDOT right away? So I don't know if you guys can pull up slide 36 and 37 on the packet. They were on the screen before when y'all were making the presentation. Um, that's not it. Yeah, we don't have them numbered. So when we're looking at it. Is yeah, you're, if you go back, keep going back. It was at the very beginning. Keep going. Keep going back, keep going back, almost there, keep going, right there, boom, stop. Okay. I got a dotted line. Where are lots four and five? Where's the CDOT right away? So let me, if if I can, John, in yeah. the group, yeah. um, can we bring that slide up on the screen again? So. Highlight that. What you're seeing, the black dotted line, that is all of the Westvale, or excuse me, West Middle Creek parcel. Lots four and five is the area in yellow where the buildings are. Plus then the CDOT portion is everything south of the, the buildings, but just north of the right of way. It, it's a small sliver. In fact, in your packet, um, you'll see a separate pullout or a diagram of the CDOT parcel, I believe, on page five of your packet. Okay. All okay, right. That's exactly. That that's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you, George. Yep. Does that take care of it, John? For now, yes. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, we will return inside the uh, room here, and we'll start with Reese. There was one more, if you don't mind oh, okay, jumping in, ahead. just to back up a second. There was a there was a question about retainage walls and retaining walls. Oh yeah, um, yeah. This is the the needle we've had to thread, I guess, because when you look at the section, we're trying to manage the the overall height of this site. And if you go to the section, is this this way? Oh, there. There's a definite balancing act here. Uh, we have the livability really on the north side, and you've seen some of the earlier diagrams and the relationship of that taller 30-foot wall. Uh, and where this 8245, the elevation of the uh, building sites uh, ends up, you, you start to uh, see the new CDOT property line. We will be stepping down. So between those two is, is really a very interesting design challenge and so this was the most appropriate location for the finished grade that we felt responded to both the south and the north units and and what it would be like to live inside of the project and and the and the development both walls are going to come close to the 15 foot limitations that currently exist in the in the requirements how do you justify that 27-foot wall in the front? Well, that's a diagram at this level. So we, we are going to have to step it. Okay. 
All right, uh, Reese, do you have any comments? Uh, just, just one question. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to come up and uh, join in. And I'm still a little confused as to the 100% deed restricted in the master lease. Bear with my ignorance, but does that mean the master lease has the ability for a private financer to come in and develop that particular building and then sell it off as deed restricted? Or does that mean that has the ability for individual businesses to purchase the master lease units? If I may again uh, jump in, it, we're, we're looking at the total project. We have looked at tax exempt municipal bonds as the vehicle to help finance uh, the construction of the site. Those tax exempt municipal bonds lose their tax exempt status once we reach a certain level of private activity within the within the use uh, of these homes. Uh, for example, master leasing to a, a business or businesses um, impacts our ability to get that, that tax exempt status. So that building that we're identifying, we're looking at other means and methods potentially, especially if we want to master lease to a business or businesses in the town of Vail to have some flexibility on how we go about financing that that portion of the development. But for the purposes, I think, of this of this overall housing development and uh, housing opportunity, it has no bearing on the operations or physical design considerations. It's, it's all about the financing and potential future ownership opportunity. Did I answer your question, Reed? It did, thank you. Yep. Brad? Yeah, I've got a couple items. Um, first of all, thanks for the work on this. Appreciate the presentation. Um, so you said there's 231 uh, units that are deed restricted and 36 master lease for a total of 267 units. Is that correct? So looking at that, it does seem your parking is excluding the deed because we have 245 spaces for total parking. So when you look at the project in aggregate, we are under a space per unit. Is that correct? That would be correct. Okay, so as currently designed, it does not meet the 1.05 that was for the new code revision of the H1 housing district. So is there a plan to address that, or is there going to be an alternate mobility plan presented to justify that, or kind of what is the path moving forward with that? Because as it stands, it doesn't meet the criteria of the H1 uh, zone district. Um, hi, <clears throat> this is Bill Pierce, Pierce Austin. We did not really. You're going to have to get closer to the microphone, please. Yes, Sorry, I always had that problem. Not close <laughs> to the microphone. Um, we haven't even looked at compact car parking and so forth. I think we'll be able to meet our needs. I was just going to add, Bill, that I feel like we're being fairly conservative with our numbers, and whenever we yeah. work on projects of this scale, um, parking is is probably the single most challenging design aspect. And you got all of these other constraints that we're trying to solve for. Sure. So uh, what we really want to dive into is, is, is back to some of our givens that we really need to feel confident about as we walk out of this, this joint session. We know we have to hit certain numbers, and we're going to need to work hard to make sure that we are meeting those, those minimums. Sure. And trust me, I was one who pushed for these parking requirements in the new code. I've been on that side of trying to make the sure. parking work. 
but just want to make sure it's being contemplated with the design or, or if the intent was to come back with an alternate, uh, alternate mobility plan to kind of reduce that. But um, makes sense. Now, it does look like that parking deck extends the full length, right? And so mm -hmm. your intent is to have your block of units kind of create your massing break on top of a single parking deck that spans two stories the entire length. What is the length of that building and what's the total footprint of that as kind of preliminarily, you know, massed right now? It's about um, 900 feet in length. The footprint itself is about 75,000 square feet. Okay, about 75,000. You know, I understand your intent here with trying to drive a single parking plate the whole way through for cost, but that is a massive structure and kind of looking at GIS, just kind of correlating to similar things in the area, it's longer than the Lion's Head parking deck that serves all of Lion's Head uh, across the way. Um, you know, when I look back at Timber Ridge 2, which was just approved, um, you know, our largest footprint in that uh, project was around 14,000 square feet. So you're looking at something that's approximately five times the footprint on a single massing. Um, you know, I, I know this is extremely conceptual at this point. You're not looking at any architectural elements on how you address that, but you are gonna have something that's about a 20 to 22 foot structure that spans the entire length of that site. And I do have some concerns on the visual impact. Again, as someone who pushes for high density and was in, high, was in support of our new H1 regs, that is a huge structure to mitigate the kind of visual impact um, that's so visible on that hillside. And you know, it looks about the size of the, kind of again, cross-referencing about the size of the veil parking deck, the main veil parking deck. Uh, that, it's quite large. Mm. Um, so I understand you're working through it. I just want to bring up that concern as I look at this initially. So uh, We share the same concern. I yeah. think ultimately, <laughs> a lot of our projects are derived by the the proportions of the site. Yeah, and this you're is, working this, with a narrow wide. This is a clear yeah. example of that. Yeah. But you'd also uh, note, and, and this diagram shows it, where we've worked hard to try to bring the building to the ground. Mm -hmm. So we are not stick, uh, trying to design a project that sits above this podium and all you see is podium. Sure. Uh, there, there's, uh, we're taking an approach that we hope provides flexibility to articulate that Base too, while it's going to be continuous building, and that there won't be gaps, you know, that allow the site to flow through. Mm -hmm. um, we don't envision that as a flat wall and a monolithic wall no. for its entirety. Mm -hmm. Like Jesse said, we also identify that as a major design challenge. Sure, um, and want to make sure that uh, the experience and the environment of that and how it's approached and how it's viewed, even from the highway. Um, is done so in a contextually responsive way, and that is going to be um, met through um, architectural design and how it's articulated and utilizing as much dimensionality for what's required for parking and to add, you know, I guess amenity beyond that, but also um, how the landscaping is treated beyond that is going to be critical um, in preventing, I think, what, you're, <laughs> what the potential there is of this um, imposing monolithic wall that we are very aware of. Um, that is a challenge and are going to absolutely do our best to um, design a solution um, that fits well. To respond to it. Okay. I mean, in our mind, it's not just about the building that sits up on top of this frontage road, but it's, uh, it includes the, the walls, the bus stop, everything that comes down to the existing frontage road. That's the project. Yep. Understood. 
Um, last thing I have is that is this rezoning going to result in a net loss of natural area preservation zone district? Yes. Has the town considered the optics of what that looks like and after this whole saga of Booth Heights that we're now taking, I mean, looking at you know, the description, the purpose of NAP is, the NAP is designed to provide areas which, because of their environmental sensitive natures and natural beauty, shall be protected from encroachment by any building or any other improvement other than those listed in section 12.8.C.2 of this article. And is there a way to design this where there's no such, there's no, I mean, we had, there's some mix of housing and general zoning on this site. I mean, it, it just kind of doesn't jive with me that we've had this in this whole conversation of Booth Heights and now the town is putting forth a proposal for an application that's going to reduce NAP zoning in a different parcel. We're basically reversing what happened at Booth Heights. Has the town thought about that optics? And if I could, Brad, yep. let us run through the, the numbers because I'm not sure in that the 1.2 acres of additional land that we just acquired from CDOT actually has that impact. Um, also, you know, be mindful that um, lots four and five, because of where the building has been located and where it's been sited, there is the potential that in that minor subdivision application, there is a potential where we could reposition that north property line of lots four and five to give some of that land area back to NAPD and not have to utilize that property. Also, um, in understanding that with the rezoning to the housing zone district, uh, back when the Planning Commission and Town Council supported it, there was a portion of the Mountain Bell site that was um, incorrectly, I believe, um, identified uh, by its land use designation or zoning designation. And that area actually increased the size of the NAPD. So let us let us do the math and, and we'll share that um, that math with you around um, the impacts to NAPD and housing zone district. Thank you. It looks like it could be close. So I'm interested to know where it lands. Yep. yep. That's it, thank you. Okay, we'll go to the other end of the table to Robin. Hi, thank you guys. This was like a fire hose of information and he used like a ton of really complex words. So I'd just like you to explain some of them to me. Um, specifically starting on the, the eastern side, that access. Um, you know, this, this plan has gone through many, many years and many ideas and many hands um, before we've had this conversation. And you mentioned infrastructural concerns would make a bridge over Middle Creek infeasible. Can you just explain to me, like a like I'm a third grader, what that means? Well, <laughs> I'll defer to our civil engineer. To tell Let's that go too. back to that yeah. diagram early. Just make sure you get close to a microphone, please, so we can get it recorded. Right here. I we think got two of them. as we as we go through the progression of our site plans up here, the the initial thought in the RFP was as presented with the bridge over West Middle Creek, mm -hmm. and I don't know that it's necessarily infeasible. But what the project or what our team was looking at is there more 
cost-effective ways to serve the site without impacting West Middle Creek, without getting into actual disturbance within 100-year floodplain or wetland that resides along West Middle Creek. And so that's how we arrived at, from design study two to where you see it today, is that while it's not necessarily infeasible, we felt it was a um, cost-benefit and reduction of, West, of impact to West Middle Creek. Also because the time efficiency that is paramount on this project too, anything that impacts a floodplain is very problematic in terms of meeting schedule. And I think through the, the iterations you'll just note in these diagrams, the building's condensed substantially in terms of its overall footprint. And so to be able to control our own destins, destiny really on our property without crossing over the creek and then triggering a lot of what was just discussed is, is why we veered towards this alternative. Okay. Um, and maybe George can kind of fill me in because you've been around forever. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought initially that when the, the RFP was put together, part of that package was that we had Public Works look at that, that access being a bridge, and then we also secured the access rights from Middle Creek to get there. Is that correct? Am I making that, that, that is that is correct, Robin. Okay. When um, recently, when the town renegotiated its uh, ground lease agreement with the Middle Creek Village Apartments, uh, so the residents at Mainville could be developed, we did uh, acquire at that time a vehicular uh, easement for ingress and e egress up their driveway to that point that is shown in, in the RFP and I think study uh, the first design, one of the first design studies that the team had put together. Largely, we negotiated that not knowing what the future was going to indicate. We wanted to keep all of our options open. Um, in looking at the design, we always questioned our ability to gain access vertically from the frontage road to where that pad site was going to be. And the belief in the RFP was coming across the creek would, would be advantageous and help us get to that elevation. It turns out that after working with the fire department and public works and Mason and his team, they have identified a, like he said, a more cost-effective, less environmentally disruptive way of getting up onto the site, um, and one that does not then conflict or add additional trips in traffic to um, the Middle Creek driveway. So that, that's kind of how we got from RFP there to where we're at today. All right, thank you so much, George. That expl explanation really helped. Um, and I, we've got both the fire and public works in the room, and so I'm sure that at some point in this process, they would stand up and protest if they didn't agree with any of that. Um, it, I'm sorry, Robin, if I can just add one other thing, and I think this is for everyone's, you know, kind of sharing of information, and, and Jesse and Dan hit on it. We probably started with the least sexy part of this design process. Um, you know, everyone wants to kind of focus on the architecture and the design and the program and what's going to be built. We actually started day one with the design team um, looking at how do you gain access. So our very first conversations were with the fire department and public works. 
Wonderful. That that makes me feel a lot better because I know that like having read through these packets year after year after year, watching this come together, um, it, that kind of sums up, explains how we get how we're here today. Um, kind of in in that vein of um, environmental sensitivity, um, and to. Commissioner Cagadorn's comment about the loss of natural area preservation. Um, when this was rezoned, I, th I think I remember there being like 107 pages of environmental impact report um, that was produced for this rezoning. Is that is that correct? When you did the rezoning, there was an EIR? Uh, we had an EIR that was done at that time. I don't think it was 107 pages. Um, but it was more about the open area of the site itself. It didn't really take in context the proposed building that you were saying. Okay. okay. But just to kind of, because um, there was no critical habitat for large mammals that was identified in that process? Because this is just this, I don't recall the specifics of the report. I'm sorry. Um, I don't think it's habitat, but I just wanted to make sure that you know, we could flesh that out early so it doesn't become an issue later. Um, and, I, and I think that that question's been answered at, at the rezoning phase. Um, that's my recollection of it, at least. Um, yeah, and, and to that point, Robin, we will share that, that environmental impact report that has, was prepared by Terracon at the direction and request of the staff and shared with PEC and the town council at the time of the rezone. Yeah, I remember it being riveting reading, um, but I did read it. Um, um, and then kind of on that environmental impact step towards the river, um, in one of the, the diagrams that you showed, which I understand is a very 2D representation to a very 3D site, um, but one of the snow storage areas kind of um, was indicated to be eat right Right there, you got it. Um, and so, just from a 2D perspective on this, and having just you know got came here today, a lot of the the stuff that gets put on this unheated surface is mag chloride and cinders. And if that gets pushed to that east side of this roadway, it seems like it could possibly create kind of like an erosion and and. Leakage into into the Middle Creek, which is a tributary of our imperiled waterway, um, Gora Creek. And so I was just curious if that was a concern that you shared, or if that's a, a plan that you had to mitigate. I think you bring up an excellent point that that pushes back on this diagram. I think what what we're struggling with is trying to find the areas available to us not just for the project not for the access not for all of these other requirements but just the, on top of that the snow storage is is, is going to be a challenge mm -hmm. and so i think you bring up an awesome point that we'll have to continue to evaluate as we progress and that might be a, a good um opportunity for our um e-team to weigh in on because it kind of weighs these two separate things is mm -hmm. one is protecting our stream tracks and the other is not putting um exterior heated surfaces um, into the project is that are a luxury and I know that you've got two here but it doesn't seem like that's necessarily a luxury that seems like it's a fire access requirement so um, I know that it'll probably come up at another stage but you know I, I think about that too is 
you know, we can street sweep cinders up, but we can't sweep them up if they're not on the road, if they're you sure. know, into the creek and, you know, that, that's a concern yeah. of mine. Um, also parking, I, you know, not a big fan of parking um, personally. Uh, and I've been like, a big advocate because I think that there are ways that we can address mobility for our residents in a way that isn't car dependent. But I do think that, that Commissioner Hagedorn really pointed out something that we're not going to be able to breeze past is that you've got 267 units mm -hmm. um, and you've got 400 and 245 parking spaces. And I understand that there would be a convenient calculation of addressing the master leased units separately. But, you know, I think it's better to just address it and say, sure. look, we're going to have zero parking spots for 72 units or 144 people. And if you just bite the bullet early on and, and address that, um, we do have the capacity to provide like a no parking solution if it's, if we could just talk about it and say okay. that that's what it is, um, which I think is gonna be scary, but better to talk about it early than later. Yeah. Um, so I think the mobility plan might, might be required in that sense, um, in which having a bus stop, you know, I, I think would be required for this project unless Middle Creek can accommodate an extra 500 people. Um, you don't have to answer that question now. It's just no, a thought I mean, of, you know, because we, we built a, a bus stop into right. Timber Ridge. Um, but, you know, I don't know if we can accommodate this level of pedestrian and transit traffic not in front of the building. I, I don't know the answer. Just a question. No, it's... Um, and then the fire access with the aerial truck ladder of 43 feet. We should not buy any larger fire trucks I think <laughs> it seems like it's tight so that might just be a thing to think about in the future um, and I didn't you know I know that you talked a lot about the financing and how that relates to the master leasing I don't know how to account for that as like a commissioner I don't I'm not gonna take it into consideration because it's not in any of our our criteria here today but it does matter in parking count Yep. So, um, and I don't, I don't know if we have any distinction anywhere in our code that allows us to, to treat a master lease deed restriction differently than a deed restriction deed restriction. Um, and I think that that's it. I know that, you know, we're not going to see, we're not going to have this opportunity again to kind of talk about these issues in an informal discussion format because everything that's going to come after this is going to be, um, you know, an application for a very set criteria. So if there's something that you'd like me to, to talk about, I, I love talking. Um, and I'm happy to, to use my time and my, to answer any questions that you might have or force it out of my fellow commissioners. Well, Robin, I'll point out that with the recently changed rules for the H zone district, um, if once they meet their basic requirements, they don't come back to us. I know. So this is, this is pretty much it. So let's get every dollar we can out of this day. <laughs> Anything else? Not yet. Not, not at this time. Okay. 
Thank you. Bobby? Hey, Robin, yeah. on that note, as someone who is going to see it and does not have your flair for words or expertise on a lot of those issues, I would really encourage as much communication and comment back and forth um, in this meeting as possible. Um, this is an enormous project and not ideal conditions um, as far as the, the site to develop. And the, the more minds on it, the better. Um, I wish there was another working session with both PEC and DRB, but this seems to be the only one. So um, I, for one, am happy to um, eat, a, eat a snack apple and go through every question and any thought or concern that, that anyone has. I think this would be a really good time because it will set the tone for later. Thank you. Bobby? Um, thanks for the presentation. It was great. Um, so one question uh, for George is, is the debt service ratio different for deed restricted versus master leased? No, all no. the same. Okay. Um, I'm concerned about uh, guest parking and parking in general. Um, as John Rediger likes to say, people don't move to Vail and uh, have no uh, cars. So um, I think a mobile mobility plan is critical um, for this project. Um, and guest parking. Um, because people have guests, so I, I think somewhere uh, down the road, consider it. Um, as I understand the H1 regs, uh, the grade site was 40%, and now this is 50%. Was it greater than 40%? Yeah, so it, it allows, the change that we made oh, six months ago was that housing zone district was not included in those zone districts where development on sites that are in excess of 40% would be permitted. So we allowed that without a variance in, in the housing zone district. So they are able to develop on that specific grade. Okay. Um, and being it's a uh, 50 degree grade, um, concerned about retaining walls as another commissioner recommended. Um, and I guess a question for Jesse was, so you're saying what's labeled as section B, 
um, which would be the Uber takeout delivery. Um, it's the zone in front of the orange right there and then right there where you'd have. So the zone is for fire uh, trucks or no parking? They both exist if you go to the section. Where is that? Right there. See the 26 feet? Yeah. That's fire. It's also a two-lane drive. The 15 is where you might have an opportunity for a pull-off, more of a parallel with a sidewalk. Okay. Okay. So, but combined, that dimension's really what our minimums are. Right. Right. So. Um, the other last concern I have is the same one Robin uh, mentioned about uh, snow storage and ending up in Middle Creek. Mm -hmm. So, great point. Um, uh, that's all my comments. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I will start the way I started the meeting today. That this site bears little resemblance to what we approved last fall. Um, with the proposed development at that point being somewhere up in the trees next to Middle Creek. And at that time, uh, we were told there was no intention to develop uh, the hillside, I think, beyond those two lots. So I feel like we've been put in a little bait and switch situation here. Um, and we're starting to reap all the benefits or the the implication, the ramifications of all the little changes that we've been making for two years here. Uh, having worked on the project next door, I completely understand how you got here and the, the obstacles that you're facing. Um, our drive uh, into SolarVale, we had a situation where no matter how many retaining walls we put in, we could not catch up to the natural grade. Um, I see your access back there, and I understand this is a concept, but I see a 40-foot wall at that uh, west driveway, and I don't know how you're going to catch up to grade. Um, I like your RFP concept with the various height buildings. Um, I'm sorry that uh, the economics of employee housing have driven you away from that. Um, going back to the site um, and dealing with Brad's concerns, uh, you know, this moving around of natural area preservation square footage is like a shell game. We're going to take it from where you can see it, and we're going to put it up here where you can't see it. I don't know that that's benefiting anybody. Um, it, it's just moving shells around to, to, meet, the, to meet the goal. Uh, in terms of your concept, um, one of the things I feared when we reviewed the uh, the zoning and the sites last summer, whenever it was, was that we would have a 900-foot-long building um, sitting atop a 27-foot, and I understand it's going to step, 27-foot uh, high retaining wall. Uh, I fully understand that where you've positioned the building is a balance of excavation and uh, quality of life for the units. I wish you could drop that thing another 5 or 10 feet. Um, it would make a huge difference. Uh, that said, I've, 
you don't know how much I appreciate the fact that you're only showing four stories of units instead of pushing this to six or seven like everybody else has been doing recently. Um, I think once you get into your roof and your architecture, I think it'll go a long way towards uh, making this thing kind of disappear into the hillside, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, I guess my last comment is that um, the parking plan, and once you meet the 1.05, we have nothing to say about it. Um, the parking plan depends heavily on getting this new bus stop. The problem is, for that bus stop to be accessible, somehow you got to get from street level 40 feet higher to your building where your lobbies and your elevators are. And I can't wait to see how you solve that one. Um, Same here. 2%. Elevators. Um, going back to your section, uh, you know, by lowering the building, you would reduce the height of the retaining walls in front, and you'd have a little bit more in the back where they can't be seen. Uh, at Timber Ridge, that's kind of what we approved there with higher walls in the back and lower walls in the front. I'm hoping you can find a way to balance that uh, to get this building down a little bit. Other than that, um, I wish you good luck. Uh, we still have to get the site approved. Once you get your building <laughs> too far into your building, uh, you guys are gamblers. I'd like to go gambling with you sometime. So thank you very much. Any more comments? Online, any comments? Thank you very much. If I'm, I'm sorry, um, we have one or two more slides at the very end. Talks about next steps and schedule. Just wanted to wrap up with those last last two items. If we can go ahead, get back to the presentation. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm looking, waiting just on the presentation at the very end of the slide deck. We're at the end, George, so we may have. Or is it oh, uh oh, I lost it's my I lost my last one. couple of slides. Oh, see. Um, there we go. Mm -hmm. Did I get to this one? No. Not sure we've got that those slides. Perfect. Well, it, it got dropped off. I guess you know, kind of next steps in the next steps in the process. We are. Um, a planning a conceptual review with the um, design review board. We'll start that process in January, uh, kind of middle part of January here, and kind of work our way through the approved development plan and design uh, process. I think, um, you know, going forward, the schedule, as I shared earlier, has the project breaking ground in May of 2025. So working back from that, we have until potentially the latter part of the fall of 2024 uh, to begin talking about um, uh, getting to a place in the entitlement process that allows us to complete our construction drawings and start with the building permit application process. So uh, again, there's a lot of work to be done. We anticipate that um, we'll be coming back to the Planning and Environmental Commission with four of those five development applications, uh, specifically the land use plan uh, amendment for the CDOT right-of-way and zoning for the CDOT right-of-way and the minor subdivision. Um, heard 
loud and clear the comments and concerns and questions about the retaining walls, taking that into consideration when I identified a potential variance in this process, it may have been um, around those retaining walls. Again, not knowing exactly where all of this stuff is going to, to get fleshed out until we get to that point. But um, again, we, we will be submitting applications to the PEC uh, to review concurrently as we continue our conversations going forward with the um, with the design review board. But um, I would anticipate um, we will take take our time to respond and answer and provide responses to each one of the questions and issues that came up today. If something else um, came about um, that that you're you're thinking of, don't hesitate to reach out with those with those questions. But again, thank you for your time in the joint session today. It was very helpful for us. Thank you, George, and thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Next item on our agenda is approval of the minutes from December 11th, 2023. Make a motion to approve the minutes from December 11th, 2023. Second. Motion by Brad, second by Bobby. Any further discussion? No. No, All sir. those in favor, please say aye. 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 Online? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Uh, motion passes. Information update, is there anything today? No, just thank you for your time. I think you got the email with your ski pass reimbursement um, items, so please submit those if you wish those. Um, we'll be looking at next year as far as the new terms, if we're going to do offer something else like the golf pass reimbursement. I'm going to see if we can bring that back. Um, I'm not sure about the, the parking. Um, parking pass or not, whether we can flex that into something else, but I'll certainly see if we can give an option between skiing golf passes for those of you that wish to have one or the other. Um, with that in mind, two terms do expire at the end of March, so start thinking about that if you'd like to join us for those whose terms are expiring for another session, or if you have friends that you would like to recommend for the positions as well. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. Motion by Robin, second by Brad. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Meeting aye. is adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>